Thanks to Health IQ for supporting industry focus. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Today is January 3rd, and we are dipping into the mailbag. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Joey Salitro. Joey, happy 2020, man. 2020 is here. My son is due any day now, so I've got my phone on the desktop waiting for that to ring saying the water's broke, so it, it's going to be a dicey 2020. I had to get you into the studio before you were taking paternity leave. <laughs> I had to take advantage of you actually being here uh, at HQ. Obviously, you're going to have a pretty busy 2020. Your son is not your first child. You have, you have a couple more, so you're going to have a crowded house. Oh, yes. This is number three, so I already had to up my wife's car to be able, you know, got rid of my car and got a minivan, so definitely a minivan household now, but all the rooms are maxed out, so this has to be the last one, or the expenses are just going to mount even more. <laughs> with with all this stuff going on, did you even like clear the plate for a New Year's resolution, or you were like, no, there's too much going on? Uh, I think the, the New Year's resolution I'm going with, um, so my knee is finally healthy to get back into CrossFit, so I'm going to be you know, hitting that hard, get back into that kind of shape that I was in before, but I mean... Other than that, you know, raise another kid to be healthy, smart, and uh, not a brat. <laughs> it's, it's it's like laughable for me t- to hear you say, get back into shape, <laughs> because Joey is probably like one of the most fit people uh, at The Motley Fool. So if you have work to do, I certainly have work to do. Uh, Austin, our man behind the glass, what's your New Year's resolution? Uh, this year in 2020, I have a wedding that I have to participate in pretty heavily, actually. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in it. <laughs> you're getting married. So I gotta, I gotta drop a couple lbs to look better. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of the most common resolutions for it a definitely reason. Is. Joey, with that healthy knee, we're gonna have to get you out on the good old diamond. Let's do it. I feel like you guys can kind of help each other out with your resolutions. You know, Joey can make some things happen in the gym. You can make some things happen on the baseball field. It seems like a win-win all around. Symbiotic relationship. There you go. For me, I'm going to try to focus on cutting down on the grocery bills. I recently realized this was my resolution last year, and I didn't do a good job because I didn't track it. So this year, I'm tracking my receipts from Giant, and I'm looking at what's left over in the fridge. Basically, going to be like, this is the money I'm wasting by the stuff I'm not using. Try to cut that bill down because that's actually one of the biggest ways that people waste money. You know what you need to find? Find you a Lidl. A Lidl. Lidl. They open one L-I-D-L. of those right next to my house. Man, the greatest store ever. Yeah. Like you go from Giant, you go into Lidl. The prices, I mean, I told you about my egg incident where I just started buying everything. I thought it was <laughs> like a fire sale. Like the prices there, it's ridiculous. Like it is amazing. They're so cheap. You, it's almost impossible to spend $100 there. And I'm, I've got a family of four and a pregnant wife, so t- technically five. But it is an amazing store, and you will cut that grocery bill down quick. All right. There's my hot tip. And, you know, if listeners, if you have any tips for how I can save money on groceries or how Joey can get back into the gym with a nicely repaired knee or tips for Austin losing some weight, right into the show, industryfocusatfool.com. We love hearing stuff from our listeners, so much so that we're going to focus on notes from our listeners for today's show. This is a mailbag episode, kind of one of my favorite types of shows for us to do. Um, So I'm just going to jump right into this first question. Eric wrote into the show and said, 
Hey guys and gals, as a listener to all the Motley Fool podcasts and a consumer of other financial media, I am pelted with multiple stock pitches every day. The analysts at The Fool do a great job selling me on their research and getting me excited about the companies they follow. That being said, as a working class guy, I don't have unlimited funds to invest. I generally follow the buy and hold strategy. So I'm only really buying with new money, not existing invested assets. Uh, and then he goes on to say he has his 401k contributions, but he's usually only making a stock purchase every couple months, at which point his watch list is huge because he's heard so many ideas from the podcast from us and other sources. And so Eric asks, I would love some sort of defined process for how to winnow down the herd of ideas until there's only one left standing, a la Highlander or Hunger Games. Love that. So, Joey, let's talk a little bit about how you can take all of the noise of financial media, all the stock ideas, even stuff from us. You know, we talk about so many different companies on a daily and weekly basis and work that into something that's digestible and actionable for investors. So, I actually faced this issue with my friend Jason this morning. He was rebalancing his portfolio and he was adding some cash and he was asking, you know, what are some stocks I should buy? And I just kind of asked him, you know, what are your interests? And one of his largest holdings is Mercado Libre. And he was like, well, I was thinking about adding Tesla to the portfolio, but I might want to add to Mercado Libre. So I just told him, you know, basically do like uh, is said in this question, Hunger Game style. So if you've got Tesla Mercado Libre, look at the growth rates and think 10 years out, which of these companies could double or go up 10x, you know, e-commerce in its infancy in Latin America, Mercado Libre's growing revenue is what, 90% in its most recent quarter. <laughs> yes, Tesla has, I think they hit their delivery numbers up 50% year over year, they announced this morning. But then I always think, okay, auto industry, very cyclical, a lot could go wrong there. We know Elon Musk, he's been much better about managing his <laughs> antics on Twitter his and everything. personal antics. But then I see that this is a car company that just hit an $80 billion market cap. So when I'm looking, could this 10x in 10 years, I think that's a huge stretch. But then I'm looking at Mercado Libre, e-commerce, payments, everything in Latin America. It's what, around $30 billion market cap. I could easily see that growing to $30 billion in the next 10 years. So pinning the stocks against each other. But like you said, you've got this watch list that kind of grows in names. I do the same thing where my watch list might get to five, 10 names. But I just pick my favorite idea. And if I can't decide between two, then you could always buy both. But with our stock picks, we have if you're subscribed to multiple services, yeah, you're getting pelted with several picks a month. I'd always do that Hunger Game style, compare them, pick your absolute favorite. And then if you did have a second that might be a distant second, come back around next time you add some contributions. But don't feel inclined to buy everything. Yeah, I, th I think that there are a couple helpful ways that you can filter down a little bit to get to the point where you're looking apples to apples. I mean, you were talking about Tesla and Mercado Libre there. Those are two growth stocks, right? Mm -hmm. Those are big growth stories. And so I think the first question a lot of people should ask themselves is, well, what, what's the mission statement for my portfolio? You know, companies have mission statements. I think it's okay for you to have that same approach when you're investing because there are some people that want growth and they're looking, you know, how can I 10x this portfolio over the next decade or two decades? There are other people who just want to protect their wealth, and they're really looking for nice, stable growth. It can be low, and they're happy to own dividend payers. And understanding what you want out of your money is going to really determine the types of companies that you want to invest in. Yeah, and absolutely. So the other thing you could do is, basically building on what you just said, if you've got existing holdings to where, say you already own Amazon, Alibaba, and eBay or something like that, Looking at a Mercado Libre, maybe it doesn't fit. Like, okay, I've got a lot of exposure to e-commerce. It is international. 
or say you're looking at Tesla, but you already own Ford and GM or something like that. Well, first off, you've got some diversification issues, but you could always find like, okay, well, I need some exposure to Latin America. And so it makes sense to have a, a Mercado Libre. But yeah, if you look at your portfolio and think, okay, I've got a lot of hyper growth. Maybe I do need that steady grower with a dividend, like a Verizon or something like that. So, so yeah, always knowing what you own and then having deciding where your mindset's at, what kind of stock would make most sense to add to my portfolio today, then revisit your watch list and one might stick out more than the others. And I think it's also important to keep in mind, you know, understanding the circle of confidence, uh, competence, sorry, confidence. Uh, and this is this is something I'm stealing from Warren Buffett. But, you know, the idea is you have this sphere that you understand well, and the size of that sphere does not really matter that much. But understanding its boundaries is super important. And so I think if you are looking for stocks that fit what you want, either growth or income, uh, you know, stability-wise, and then you're also thinking about, okay, well, what are the industries I understand? If you use those two filtering techniques, you're probably going to get down to a list that you can really then start doing that side-by-side comparison like you're doing with Mercado Libre and Tesla. You know, you can say, these are two high-growth companies, here are their growth rates, here's their current profitability. This is roughly what I think the total addressable market might look like. On the flip side with income stocks, you know, looking at their payout ratio, looking at whether they're growing their net income and their revenue enough to support the dividend that they're paying, and looking at the yield and all those types of things. So, so I think with a couple quick filters, you can get down to that apples to apples comparison. At a certain point, you know, you you have to just buy something, start small, and keep tabs on it as well. And you know, it's it's unfortunate that it's a zero sum game when you're working with limited amounts of money. But if you're always adding, there's always the opportunity to pick up more. Yeah, and with commissions now being zero across all the major platforms, I mean, you could always buy small positions in every stock on your watch list and then slowly grow those over time. So, like you said, you could have your favorite ones, you could own small portions, and if you have limited funds, then slowly grow those. Or maybe then you'll figure out, you know what, I do like this one company more than you sell the rest and put everything into that one. Yeah, and we have we have fractional shares becoming more and more available. There are uh, specific platforms out there that allow you to kind of create your own mutual fund, um, and you can, you know, pick a basket of stocks and then buy into that basket. So there are ways around this kind of thing. But I think at core, what our listener here is really looking for is like, how do you filter down and you kind of have to create your own mindset and your own schema for doing that. I will say, I don't know that anyone at The Fool is better at this than David Gardner. And he, you listen to his podcast, or if you're a Rule Breakers member, you've probably seen this in the, the write-ups for the stocks they recommend. There's very organized thought, and there's nothing wrong with looking at some of uh, how our premium analysts break things down with these stock recommendations they provide, and stealing that, and using that as your own framework for looking at companies. Yeah, I think one of the analysts I look a lot at, not even here at The Fool, Brian Feraldi on Twitter. He'll post a lot on there, at Brian Feraldi. He has his strict checklist, and he goes down and he'll rank his stock. So if you've got your watch list, and I mean, that, that's actually a great idea. If you've got your watch list of five companies, create your own checklist or steal Brian's. I mean, he'll be the first <laughs> one to tell you how it works and how to score it on your own. Run down that checklist. You might have one that scores so much more highly than the rest that it's like that's your go-to. So yeah, and and we've had him on the show to walk through that exact breakdown before. I think it's uh, eight steps or nine steps or something like that. And my, it's really it's really excellent to have that organized thought. I definitely say my investing man crush, at Brian Feraldi. <laughs> Not afraid he's, to admit he's it. He's such a great dude. Um, all right, our our second question. We have uh, listener Ben writing in. And Ben asks, hey, guys, can you please talk about whether or not it makes sense to use margin with long-term positions? Thanks. 
Um, and I mean, I was going to have you on the show either way, Joey, but then I saw this question. I was like, well, I need to have Joey on the show now because he's going to do a much better job giving the pro margin argument than I will. This got me excited because <laughs> so I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, I use margin quite a bit. I've got a significant amount on margin right now, but I never exceed more than 15% of my total funds. So you don't want to get too deep in the margin where you're leveraging, you know, 50% because then if it drops too much, you're, you're out of money. And let's, but let's so, talk a little bit about the mechanics with margin and what it is and how it works first. So margin is basically you're borrowing money from your broker to invest. So Say you've got a hundred thousand in your account and you're approved for margin trading. It might be dollar for dollar where you can invest two hundred thousand, or it could be you know fifty cents on the dollar where you're able to leverage an extra fifty. And the reason you might want to do this is because it can increase your returns over time. Because say you've got one hundred fifty thousand invested, that thirty percent return, then you pay down that margin, you've got more significant returns, even though it's not what you have in your actual account, but you borrowed it. It's the Just, same idea with leverage in real estate, right? You have, you have a down payment and you have interest payments that you're making. But if you sell the house for more than you bought it for before the full mortgage is up, you're probably enjoying some leverage. Yes, that is, uh, that's exactly what you can look at margin as. So I'll lead off with, if you're going to use margin, you're approved, which of course you have to apply for it. And if your broker approves it, the next step is you want to call and get that margin rate down. So Interactive Brokers has it at the lowest rate. It's right around 3%. But TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, those other guys, it'll be upwards of 8 9%. You don't want to be borrowing money. I mean, that's almost like having high-interest credit card debt. Like, that's not something you want to do. So first off, you want to get that margin rate down significantly. And you can call by basically saying, hey, I'm going to move my account to Interactive Brokers unless you can do that. I literally did that before <laughs> we came on the show. And uh, It was Dylan great. Austin, we listened to the whole thing. Yeah, and, and so my margin rate already, I think the... Flatline, it's like 8.75% on TD. Mine was right around 4%. And I just said, hey, Interactive's at 3.06. I need that or I'm just going to move my assets over there. And like a lot of things, you know, we, we talk about being an advocate for yourself when it comes to dealing with big firms. I think this is a good example of that because if you are working in margin, the rate can crush your ability to do anything. You know, this is really something where you're kind of arbitraging the cost of borrowing versus what you think you'd be able to get with returns. And if the cost of borrowing is 8%, well, you're getting pretty darn close to annualized stock market returns right there. Exactly. So that's where having it down below 5%, I mean, that makes more sense. So if you're borrowing 8%, you invest 10 grand, like you got to know, I have to return 8% on this or we're going to be break even at the end of the year. So, I mean, that, that's a bit much. I mean, I'm aiming for stocks to return significantly more. So, I mean, 8% is something I could do if I had to. But you never want to pay more than you really need to. So, that's another thing. Just call your broker. Get that down significantly. Say, hey, I heard a podcast. The guy's paying around 3.5%, something like that. And <laughs> they, they'll get it down. So, next off is if I'm going to use margin, it's because the stock's at a level that it's irresistible. It's like, say you have a budget of $50 at your store and you pass something that it's one of your favorite shirts and it's just crazy. It's usually $30, it's 10 bucks. You can't resist. That's when I'm looking at these stocks like, this is so cheap or so undervalued, so misunderstood that I can't pass this up right now. And I, I ran through some of the recent trades before we jumped on the podcast. So if you've got, say like you've got your watch list of five companies and of course, all your capital is allocated to other positions, but one of those that scored highest on your checklist, it drops to a level that you think, this is I can't pass up on this. That's when I would use margin. And I've done that a lot lately. I do that a lot during sell-offs. 
December of 2018 during the market bloodbath is when I leveraged my margin quite a bit. And so it's basically a way to maximize your returns, but you always have to eventually pay that back. So the best situation for this is say you've got excess income where you might be able to add two or 3,000 to your account each month. If you use 10, 20 grand on margin knowing, hey, I can pay this back in five months and only pay three and a half percent on it, it makes sense if you think that stock can return 25 to 50% in the near term. So you always want to take calculated risks and know what you're doing. And the other thing I would say is I'm looking at the market every day like this is what I do for a living. But if you're, say you drive for UPS, you're on the road all day, you can't look at your phone, you can't look at your account, you probably shouldn't be leveraging margin too much because you've got to know what's going on at all times. Yeah, so yeah this is something be, that's truly for sophisticated folks. I mean, you, you really need to both know what you're doing and be able to pay attention to it. Yes, I'm far from sophisticated, but... <laughs> I think in the investing sense, you're sophisticated, <laughs> Joey. Um, and and for for my money's worth, uh, I am someone who avoids margin um, simply because of the complexity of it and the intensive, the attentiveness that it requires. You know, um, I am the long term buy and hold approach, and and very rarely in and out of stuff. Um, so I I like the peace of mind that comes with that. I enjoy just being able to buy stuff and then see those dips as buying opportunities. I don't think I can handle the anxiety of of working on margin and possibly being in debt, for, especially for something that could continue to dip. And so that's something that I have sidestepped. And I think for a lot of newer or even you know like moderately experienced investors, it's okay to stay away from it. Definitely, this is something where if you're doing this daily or you're able to stay in front of your computer all day, and you know the risks associated with it, you know these companies well enough to do it, then by all means, I'd bless it. But if you're just, if you don't really know what you're doing, and I'm sure I'm the first one to know, or I'm the first one to admit, I don't know a lot of things. Like if my daughter doesn't know a certain dance move, I'm not going to watch it on YouTube and say, oh, this is how it's done. Like <laughs> I don't have that kind of technique. When it comes to investing, like I know what I'm doing here. I, I'm okay with, with doing it here. But if someone says, hey, a, a dancer broke their leg, can you fill in? Oh yeah, I got this. No, <laughs> I, I know what I'm good at. So I, I'll stick with that. But Take a step back and think, okay, am I good enough at what I do or am I as serious about investing? Am I okay with the risks that come with it? And can I pay this back in a, in a respectable period of time? Yeah, you got to be aware of the risks. And there are some true horror stories of people being a little over levered when it comes to margin. Um, and, and we'll drop it in the show notes so that people can see exactly how catastrophic things can get. But like most things with debt, you know, there is a serious downside there too. So buyer beware. Um, we've got one more listener question for this episode, but before we get over to it, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Average eight hours of sleep per night? Check. Eat a quality plant-based diet? Check. Exercise four or more times a week? Check. Basically, you're doing everything right to ensure you live a long life. Isn't it time you be financially rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle? If you're a runner or a cyclist or into CrossFit or another type of athlete, even a committed weekend warrior or a vegetarian or vegan, then you should be rewarded for your hard work with a more affordable life insurance rate. Introducing Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. Health IQ can save up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You will not find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. 
to see if you qualify. Go to healthiq.com fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com fool. That ad read seems very appropriate, given all of our New Year's resolutions. Had I known, I was like, this is just speaking right to us right now. We teed that one up a little bit too well. Totally, coincidentally. Um, All right, Joey. So we have uh, one more question here, and this one's from Jordan. Jordan writes in, hey, Industry Focus, I wanted to know your thoughts on something I've been pondering. My 10 largest positions are Microsoft, Disney, Amazon, Alphabet, MasterCard, Shopify, Visa, Apple, PayPal, and Facebook. But I've been thinking about diversifying more with some Vanguard ETFs, but I see that many of the heavyweight stocks that I own are already a large portion of these ETFs. Should I add to my Top Guns winners, or do you think the ETFs are a good addition to my portfolio? I'm 23 and just got investing, got into investing this past year and appreciate what you guys do on a daily basis. Um, I love this question. Wow. First off, bravo, because that is a beautiful, beautiful mix of stocks. Yeah, beautiful mix of stocks. Jordan's 23 and has already started investing. That's awesome. Um, I think the real reason that I love this question, though, is Jordan did the due diligence on looking at these ETFs. Jordan named a couple specifically, but we didn't get into it when I read the question. But most people will blindly buy ETFs or mutual funds because they're like, oh, it's instant diversification. They'll look at the returns, they'll look at the expense ratio, maybe the yield, and they'll just throw stuff in there. What Jordan did here is say, like, oh, actually, I'm not really getting all that much more diversified by owning these ETFs. You need to dig into that stuff. So I had this exact issue. So I've got some friends that are teachers and they have like their retirement plans and they're looking at these ETFs or these funds. And yet, if you look at the mix of these, I mean, chances are they're going to be heavy weighted into Microsoft and Apple and MasterCard and these these heavyweights, especially Apple. I mean, that's in every big ETF you look because it's a dividend payer. It's technically value. It's growth. It's everything. So definitely this is something that everybody could learn from because if you're going to buy these ETFs, look what's in there, especially these just like diversified growth or value or international because chances are they're going to overlap quite a bit. Now, if it was an ETF that's more like, okay, biotech, and you don't own any biotech, that would make more sense. But I really do like that you did your research. And I would say, like, with that mix of stocks that you've got, I mean, that I would continue to add to those. You don't need ETFs because clearly you are intelligent and you're very young, so you don't need ETFs. I'd keep going with these individual stocks. And I mean, man, that is a beautiful mix. That's a great basket right there. And yeah, to your point, a 23-year-old has a pretty long time horizon to be working with. The, the way that I generally approach uh, diversification with ETFs and mutual funds and buying individual stocks is, you know, my 401k and my Roth IRA, I have in mutual funds. You know, they're, they're index uh, funds and they are broad-based, they're well-diversified. My brokerage account where I own individual stocks is where I'm owning my individual stocks. That's a little bit more of my, like, fun play stuff because I know that... I'm going to have market matching returns with my 401k and with my Roth IRA. And so I would say to Jordan, if you're in a position where you have retirement accounts or some other money set into mutual funds and ETFs, then stick with the winning stocks. You're you're picking winners. And the whole point of really buying individual stocks is you're able to separate the wheat from the chaff 
and invest in the good stuff. That's clearly what Jordan has done here with this lineup of stocks. Um, now, if if Jordan doesn't have uh, any of those types of accounts already set up, it's something to consider, especially if uh, there's a 401k available at work with an employer match or something like that. But um, otherwise, yeah, maybe maybe start thinking about some ETFs and mutual funds. Yeah, you've got growth and value right here. So I mean, I would continue to add these. If if anything, you know, add some more. Of great stocks like these into your mix, but I mean, you've created your own growth slash value ETF. I mean, this is the Jordan ETF. So, I mean, <laughs> I'd continue to build your own. And I mean, I have a self directed 401k because ETFs and mutual funds make me sick. So, I always own individual stocks. Um, now, the only way I would go this so, like, say you don't have any biotech in here and say it's not your strong suit, I'll be the first to admit, like, biotech, it's just not my strong suit. It's, <laughs> it's a guessing game to me. So, if I felt the need to own a biotech, then yeah, like the IBB uh, biotech ETF or something like that. But I mean, with the stocks that you've got, depending on how long you've had them, I'd continue to grow these or just mix in some other great names like these and make that Jordan ETF. The Jordan ETF. Watch out, Jason Moser, with your basket of stocks. Jordan's coming for you. Um, and, and I think also to circle back to what we were talking about before, the, the idea of like diversification for diversification's sake isn't great. You know, the, going back to the idea of like your sphere of competence and what you understand, you know, buying biotech so that you have exposure to biotech is it, you can do it, but at the end of the day, you're not going to know whether any of those companies are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing and that are on track to provide good returns for you. So, you know, I say if if you want to be diversified, buy something broad based uh, like the S and P 500, and then get a little bit more specific with the stocks that you own. Don't necessarily hop into an industry-specific uh, ETF just because you feel like you need to get access to that stuff. I'd always throw it back to my investing coach, Young Jeezy, <laughs> and he stated very clearly, scared money don't make no money. <laughs> so, you know, own great individual stocks, go for growth, especially when you're 23. You've got a long, long way to go on your investing career. You've got a long time to lose everything and still <laughs> retire very wealthy. And I mean, you're not going to no, lose not everything with, in these stocks. Not with those companies. None of these but companies yeah, you, are going you've anywhere. Got a, you've got a very good taste. So keep building that. Keep doing your young Jeezy Jordan. You got this. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap, I have another iTunes review. I mentioned earlier that if folks leave us a five-star review, uh, we will be reading those, especially if they have questions in them on the show. This one comes from Sand. I listen every day. Episodes are always informative and upbeat with just enough chatting about life to make them personable along with the content. I feel like we're striking a nice balance yeah, there, Yeah, we're hitting that out of the park today. <laughs> All the hosts are great, and I appreciate that they're responsive to reader requests. And here we are doing that again, too. Look at that. Two for two. Uh, my only idea for improvement would be to have a few more women regulars, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're already looking. I think it would encourage more women to invest. Thanks for all you do. Happy Female Fool since 2001. Um, and, and this is absolutely right. Um, we are doing our best to make sure that our audio, video programming, uh, our services represent all the faces and voices of the fool. And um, we are thrilled to have Emily Flippin on the lineup uh, this year for Industry Focus. But one of our big initiatives in chatting with a lot of the people that handle the investing premium team is working more people into the rotation for podcasts, for video content, um, and making sure that all of our analysts are ready to hop on camera because it's a great way to connect with our members. So expect more people to be hopping on the show in 2020 as we look to boost our bench of people that are audio and video ready. So Sand, perfectly valid criticism and one that we're working on. Um, you know, thank you for holding us accountable and making sure that we're continuing to get better and more inclusive. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Uh, otherwise, I think that's going to wrap up today's show. Listeners, we would love to hear whatever your money resolutions are. So, you know, let us know over on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can write into the show if you have any questions that you want us to hit. I mean, ideally, I would love to do this show like once a month, Joey. This was a lot of fun. I mean, especially that lineup of questions. I remember you <laughs> slacked it to me yesterday. I got excited. So, I mean, these are great. Let's keep them coming. So, these are our favorites. So, write in industryfocus.fool.com if you have questions for us. We'll be happy to tackle them. And if you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out videos from the podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So, don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Joey Salitro, I'm Dylan Lewis. We're going to play this episode out with a little fan favorite from our holiday week. This is Fool Burke Ingrafia with an original song. I've got a million dollars. It's hypothetical. Large amount in my bank account. It's parenthetical. The money I'm made of is theoretical. So in theory, I've got it good. My fat wallet is on a diet My balance sheet is lopsided My income statement is keeping silent But let's keep one thing understood I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love My cold hard cash Is soft and tropical My deep pockets Are merely topical I hit the big time It was microscopical But don't you get it I am no fool I own a bank I call him Piggy, brought home the bacon, he got a little wiggy, cracked him open, what a pity, his inner life was pitiful. I need checks, I need balances, life's a mess, with financial challenges, checks and balances, when things get tough, do you do it for money, or do you do it for love? I know a cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery I'm cashing in on Triple coupon, soup kitchen's calling Saying the soup's on I sing for my supper and get my groove on I still know how to have fun I need checks, I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money or do you do it for love? Cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery I own a bank 
I call him Piggy, brought home the bacon. He got a little wiggy, cracked him open. What a pity, his inner life was pitiful. I need checks, I need balances. Life's a mess with financial challenges, checks and balances. When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? 